This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight, preparing for the long haul. Who stands to be hit hard by an escalating transit strike? Plus, there's nobody protecting people from this risk. A Vancouver woman says the construction site near her home is exposing asbestos and... We're hoping for people will come take a moment and remember. Local school children create art for remembrance and reconciliation. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, thanks for joining us. We have no end in sight to the Metro Vancouver transit strike. Commuters are bracing for possible escalating job action starting next week. That concern has already prompted most post-secondary schools in the Lower Mainland to warn students and staff to consider finding alternative ways of getting to and from campus. Jordan Armstrong joins us now with more on that. Jordan. Colleen, 25,000 people ride the bus up Burnaby Mountain every single day, so an escalation in the transit strike would certainly be felt at Simon Fraser University. Today, the school sent a note to students, faculty and staff to consider carpooling, car sharing and other transit alternatives. For those who simply have to drive, more street parking has been made available on University Drive East with a shuttle bus providing service to and from that area. The union representing 5,000 bus and C-bus workers has warned job action could escalate after Remembrance Day, not in the form of a full-scale strike, but possibly an expansion of the overtime ban to include bus drivers, which they say would lead to the immediate cancellation of 10 to 15 percent of service right across the region, which is why SFU is telling students to have a backup plan. So if I take a taxi, it would cost me a lot. The best choice I guess I could have right, would be to wake up right, much, much earlier right, and take a ride with a friend of mine. Preferably, I'd love it if I could just email my profs and say home, but there's a lot of midterms and quizzes and whatnot going around, especially this time. Now, we haven't heard from the union today, but the president of Coast Mountain was on our morning program. He's calling on Uniport to return to the table, hinting there is room to move on the key issue of working conditions. We have some new ideas on how to do it, but we need a conversation to be able to do that. Uh, it's quite an iterative process. Uh, we want to do that first, and then, as we've said, we're not finished bargaining. We need to finish bargaining, and so nothing's off the table. Again, a full-scale walkout is not expected anytime soon, but look for the union to increase its job action by the middle of next week. They are promising at least 24 hours notice, so we'll keep you posted. Colleen. All right, thanks for that, Jordan. A young man was stabbed at a house party that got out of hand in Abbotsford last night. Police were called to a home in the 33,000 block of Lynn Avenue at about 10.45 for a report of a stabbing. They found up to 50 young partygoers inside the home and out on the street, many of them intoxicated. An 18-year-old boy was found with stab wounds. He's expected to recover from his injuries. 
We're asking for any witnesses to come forward or anyone that may have security footage available to us. It is rare to have to attend to a house party where violence has occurred, um, so obviously we're taking that quite serious. There's usually quite a bit of parties. <laughs> <laughs> usually it uh, doesn't end in police though kind of thing? No. We heard sirens, we saw police cars, we saw flashing lights, and they controlled the outside area, you know, with yellow tape for a while and, uh, you know, watch the kids. It's quite unusual. Asbestos can cause a deadly form of lung cancer years after exposure. That's why there are laws in place for how the material should be treated and removed from renovation sites. But a Point Grey Vancouver resident who happens to be a doctor is speaking out, saying she and others have been exposed, allegedly due to negligence on the part of abatement workers. Jill Bennett reports. I was just walking into my backyard and the man was literally like a meter and a half away sweeping the dust. When Catherine Rickson saw workers clearing away dust in the front yard of the home next to hers, she immediately started recording it, knowing there was asbestos in the stucco. This is not safe, okay? What? I'm going to be calling WorkSafe BC. Rickson did call WorkSafe BC and was told scaffolding nailed into the stucco is a violation. The house is slated for demolition, causing concern for several neighbours. It seems small sweeping the stucco into a pan, but it's not. So I'm just worried about further violations and, you know, health risks to myself and my kids. The danger is breathing in the fibers when they're released into the air. The city of Vancouver says it is aware of asbestos complaints made against the home and states the city has issued a salvage and abatement permit for this property, which requires the property owner and contractor to comply with all associated legislation. We will not be issuing any further permits for this work until the property owner can demonstrate that they have complied with all relevant legislation. You guys have masks on. We live here. The asbestos abatement contractor is H&B Construction based in Burnaby. According to WorkSafe BC, that company has received 26 orders in the past three years for various violations. And following an inspection at the home in question on November 6th, four orders were issued related to asbestos risk assessment and WorkSafe procedures. Everything with asbestos that comes out needs to be bagged and put out, so we'll just be watching for that. And I feel like there's nobody protecting people from this risk. Rickson says she only discovered the health risk because a neighbour alerted her to it. She wishes there was a better system to stop companies from breaking the rules instead of penalising them after the fact. Jill Bennett, Global News. Global News was unable to reach the company contracted to do the abatement work. B.C. Forest Minister Doug Donaldson and 35 senior forestry company executives are heading on a trade mission to Asia tomorrow. They're trying to drum up desperately needed business in Japan and China. It comes nearly a year after another B.C.-led forestry trade mission to Asia was abruptly cut short. Last December, Donaldson cancelled the China leg of his mission after the arrest of Huawei CFO at YVR. Meng Wanzhou was picked up at the request of the American government, accused of violating U.S. trade sanctions against Iran and is currently fighting extradition to the U.S. The provincial government says last year all B.C. forest products exported to China totaled more than $4 billion. Three small earthquakes rattled the west coast of Haida Gwaii this morning. Earthquakes Canada says the tremors ranging from 4.5 to 
4.5 to 4.7 in magnitude, hit southwest of Sandspit. The National Earthquake Agency says the quakes happened seconds apart just before 11 o'clock this morning. There were no immediate reports of damage and no tsunami warnings were triggered. It's an alarming statistic. Kelowna RCMP have dropped nearly 40% of reported sexual assaults last year, dismissing them as unfounded. Jules Knox takes a closer look. I mean, he's taking your clothes off. How much of a fight did you put up? A disturbing video of a West Kelowna police interrogation of a young alleged sexual assault victim. Were you at all turned on during this at all, no. even a little bit? No. Physically, you weren't at all responsive to his advances? That was back in 2012, and the Indigenous youth's case against the RCMP is still before the courts and under review internally. The West Kelowna case uh, is, uh, I think, uh, a symptom of what is uh, a pretty large disease of, uh, of myths and problematic investigations uh, with the RCMP in Kelowna. According to Stats Canada, 35 of the sexual assault cases that were reported to Kelowna RCMP last year were dismissed as unfounded, or nearly 40%. Vernon officers dismissed eight cases, nearly a quarter of all reported, and Penticton RCMP said 11 incidents were unfounded, about 38%. Those numbers far higher than the provincial average of less than 15%. It's kind of infuriating. It really leads back into a lot of the reasons why people don't report as well. Because when you're already when you're already aware that there's a really good chance no one's going to take you seriously, reliving all of that trauma is much more difficult. RCMP said in a statement that they are aware that people may find the number of unfounded sexual assault files unsettling. And their sexual assault review team at National Headquarters will review its unfounded files for 2018 and 2019. They also say anyone who feels their case was not investigated properly can go to their local detachment and request a review or make a complaint to the Civilian Review and Complaints Commission. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. RCMP releasing these images captured by video surveillance in the Merritt area in an effort to identify the suspect in a series of crimes from West Kelowna. They say he was in conflict with police in Merritt, but give no other details. The suspect, who is white with a chipped right upper tooth, is seen entering and exiting a store. West Kelowna RCMP are also sharing surveillance of the suspect's Dodge Ram D-150 pickup truck. If you see the suspect or the truck, do not approach, but instead call 911. A Victoria senior who's behind the first constitutional challenge of Canada's impaired driving laws has had her roadside prohibition rescinded. Norma McLeod was pulled over and ordered to do a breathalyzer test after leaving a liquor store in February, even though she showed no signs of impairment. The 77-year-old who survived mouth cancer and has COPD was unable to blow. McLeod's car was impounded and her license revoked. She failed an appeal even after her doctor noted she couldn't physically breathe hard enough to pass the test. After a rehearing by the superintendent of motor vehicles, McLeod's IRP was finally revoked this week. Her fees, fines, towing and storage costs will all be reimbursed. McLeod's constitutional challenge against the law that allows police to demand a breathalyzer without any signs of a driver being impaired is expected to be heard next spring. 
The Sunshine Coast School Board has filed a lawsuit against a contractor they say deposited soil at several local school fields where pieces of plastic, glass and other items were found last year. The board sent out a warning to parents at the start of the 2018-2019 school year to keep their kids off the fields at seven schools because of the debris. According to the notice of civil claim filed in B.C. Supreme Court, a new contractor, Top Quality Topsoil, was hired to give the fields a new top dressing, but the school board claims the soil it laid contained dangerous debris. The suit alleges it took 1,500 hours to remove the garbage from the soil. The board had demanded the contractor pay more than $148,000 to cover the cost of cleaning the fields and for the environmental assessment. None of the allegations have been proven in court and the contractor has yet to file a response to the suit. The city of Vancouver approved a rain city strategy this week designed to return or reuse the majority of precipitation. Vancouver is known for rain, and after a brief drought late last month, it started falling again today. Currently, only about 1% of the city's annual rainfall is captured and treated. But councillors want to see that number jump to 90% by 2050. All impermeable areas would have to manage rainwater volume and quality to the 48 millimeters of rainfall per day design standard. Green water infrastructure would divert from the city's pipe network and help reduce combined sewer overflows and pollution discharge to waterways. It's going to require investment in infrastructure, uh, and that's both green and gray infrastructure. And by green, we mean um, rainwater um, friendly. So that's things like green roofs, so that it relates to our building bylaws and our, and our building strategies. It's things like permeable um, sidewalks, and you see some of those in Olympic Village and some of the new developments. The ski and snowmobile season is just around the corner and the campaign is on to remind everyone heading into the backcountry about the dangers of avalanches. Hundreds attended avalanche awareness sessions hosted by Avalanche Canada in North Vancouver today. Despite repeated warnings every season, many still venture out without any knowledge of the conditions or risk of avalanche. It's always about preparation and uh, understanding when it's time to go and when it's time to pull back. Education is crucial um, and it's a, it's a lifelong process. Um, there's somebody who's come here this morning who said that they've been skiing for 40 years but they feel like they need a brush up and I, I love hearing those words. Do as much pre-trip planning as you can but it doesn't stop when you've made that decision the night before to go to a certain destination you may get to that destination and on the drive there it was snowing heavily and that snow wasn't forecast so you may need to adjust your plans. If you visit or even pass by Vancouver City Hall before Remembrance Day, you'll notice a sea of handmade poppies on the front lawn. For the last five years, local students have created the art installation. And as Kristen Robinson reports, this year's also includes a nod to reconciliation. That's beautiful, Andrew. Andrew and his classmates from Shaughnessy Elementary planting their learning at Vancouver City Hall. We're acknowledging all the in veterans, veterans who fought for Canada. You want to pu push them open, right? The poppy art carefully crafted in class by the grade five and six students. Tablecloths transformed into poppies and feathers designed from red duct tape and metal skewers. 
This year we added red feathers for the indigenous veterans. The 2019 installation recognizing reconciliation. Each student writing about one of the estimated more than 4,000 indigenous soldiers who served in the First World War. He achieved a sniping record of 115 fatal shots. Andrew choosing to honor one of the most famous Canadian snipers, Métis marksman Henry Norwest, the former ranch hand and rodeo performer, killed three months before the war ended. We did it for to remember those who sacrificed their lives for our futures. There's such rich history for students and sometimes uh, they, don't, they don't know that exists until we bring it alive. It's really nice and it catches your eye. Passers-by stopping to capture the thoughtful take on Remembrance Day. I just made for a fantastic photograph. Absolutely, take a moment and remember everybody. It's beautiful, it's, it's great that they did this to honor everybody. We're hoping for people will come take a moment and remember and think about the war and think about these people. Kristen Robinson, Global News. So beautiful. We will have special live coverage of the Remembrance Day ceremony at Victory Square in Vancouver. Join Chris Galas from 10.30 to 11.30 Monday morning, or you can catch it on our live stream, globalnews.ca slash bc. With Remembrance Day on Monday, Christmas isn't far off. Some volunteers spent the day sorting through gifts for those in need. The Christmas Bags of Hope campaign aims to make sure everyone has something to open Christmas morning. The charity was started by Jessa Turner. She wanted to do something for people who are less fortunate. Donations include handmade items, cards, Christmas baking, and warm clothes. The bags will be delivered to the Coquitlam and Maple Ridge shelters on Christmas Eve. My reward is to know that, you know, we've left 100, this year 140 people with toques and socks and underwear, all new items, um, and many other things in the bag. And uh, the hope that a few of them will feel for once that they have been thought about and not forgotten about it. An infant in Saskatoon has been found dead and police are searching for the mother. They believe the woman gave birth shortly before her child was left in an alley inside a recycling bin. Global's Ryan Kessler has more. According to Saskatoon police, the priority right now is finding the mother of this infant because she's likely in a great deal of physical and emotional stress. A spokesperson saying she's probably very vulnerable after her infant was found in a recycling bin. Our priority is to, to help get this woman medical attention if she requires it, and she likely will. In the alley between 4th and 5th Avenue North, a block outside downtown Saskatoon, officers wrapped a tarp around the scene of the discovery. The newborn's body was found early Friday morning behind some apartment buildings. The cause of death not immediately clear, but the overnight low was minus 6 degrees. Police add while the birth happened recently, it did not take place in the alley. For now, they have no idea who the mother is. They are asking her to come forward, though, so police can put her in touch with supports in the community. But the service did not offer immunity from criminal charges, and when it comes to finding the mother, police say time is of the essence. Perhaps someone knows uh, of a woman who was pregnant recently and is not pregnant any longer, but there is no evidence of a child in that person's life. They may have information that is critical to locating this mother. 
Police say many questions remain, like how long the infant had been left in that recycling bin. An autopsy scheduled for Tuesday could provide some answers. Ryan Kessler, Global News. The world is marking a pivotal moment in history tonight. The fall of the Berlin Wall happening exactly 30 years ago today. Thousands gathering at Brandenburg Gate to commemorate the events that led to the end of communism in Eastern Europe. Global's Mike Drolet has more on the repercussions of this historic collapse. A turret once manned by armed guards is now only filled with tourists. There are 50 residents in one pub in Müllerode, Germany. Yet the tiny town was once split down the middle by the Berlin Wall. It still remains as a tourist destination, but also a reminder of what was and what could be again. In Berlin, the ceremonies to mark the 30th anniversary of the fall of the wall were somber. November 9th, said German Chancellor Angela Merkel, is a day of fate in German history. Growing up on the east side of the wall, she remembers it well. But November 9th also marks Kristallnacht, the Nazi-fueled anti-Jewish riots of 1938. Ottawa resident Friedrich Demke lived 500 meters from the wall in East Germany. He remembers the day it came down and how he was able to walk past the fearsome guards that protected it. And they were like standing there completely on the side, disturbed, silent, weird. That, that, that these faces of yeah, they, all of a sudden they were history. And, and that was clear to me at the moment, that once you open that thing, you'll never be able to close it again. But the fear of societal walls going up is still very real in Europe. Migrants continue to stream into the EU. And while many countries have closed their borders, Germany has been a leader in finding solutions. In Washington, a large piece of the original Berlin Wall was delivered to the White House. We have delivered here. It wasn't accepted, but it didn't need to be for the point to be made. So this wall is not a statement against any specific wall. Uh, it's more like a general statement against walls in our societies. Uh, physical walls like this piece of the Berlin Wall, but also like uh, walls in the people's minds, uh, walls that divide societies. This anniversary is one for Germans to reflect and for the rest of the world to take notice. Mike Drolet, Global News, Toronto. At least three people are dead as bushfires rage out of control in parts of east on parts of the east coast of Australia. Several people are missing, more than 30 injured, and more than 150 homes have been destroyed by flames. About 1,500 firefighters are battling more than 70 fires across Queensland and New South Wales. The country's prime minister says expect more bad news from the fire zone. One year after the deadly campfire destroyed her town of Paradise, California, an artist is paying tribute to her community. Jessie Mercer's 800-pound sculpture depicts a phoenix rising from the ashes. It's made from thousands of keys. They're the keys to cars, homes, businesses and schools, all destroyed by the flames. The campfire was the most deadly and destructive in the state's history, killing 85 people and destroying most of the town in the Sierra Nevada foothills. 
An elaborate gender reveal in Texas went horribly wrong. A crop dusting plane was flying low, waiting to drop pink water, revealing to the party below that a little girl was on the way. But an apparent stall caused the plane to crash, ending up mangled, lying upside down in a field. Fortunately, no one was seriously hurt, the pilot of the plane suffering only minor injuries. The Rockefeller Christmas tree has arrived. Thousands of people in New York City turned out to greet the massive Norway spruce. It's about 23 meters tall and was planted in New York's Orange County back in 1959. A giant crane lifted the tree into place. It'll be covered in more than 50,000 lights and it'll be lit up on December 4th. In Health Matters tonight, some scantily clad participants laced up their sneakers today in Vancouver to run for a good cause. Now, the second annual Movember Undie Run, seeing some 300 people brave the rain and chilly temperatures to raise money for prostate cancer research. The two-kilometer race is also hoping to bring awareness to men's mental health and suicide prevention. Mental health friends in my family and a lot of the men in my family and a very close friend of mine, so it's just kind of a good way to raise support and raise awareness. Yeah, yeah you happy with it all? Oh my god, it was so much fun. It's a really good way to raise awareness, for sure. Way too many men are out here dying, so every day I'm running 60 by 60, 3,600 meters for the 60 men who die every 60 minutes, so it's a super important cause. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. If you use wireless earbuds, you may want to listen up. The health warning that may have you switching to big old headphones. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. But first... Look at the difference a day makes. 8 to 12 centimeters of snow falling in Edmonton over the past 24 hours. Ice-covered roads hidden under slush and making sidewalks slippery. Between 7 o'clock last night and 4.30 this afternoon, police responded to, get this, more than 175 crashes. 13 of those resulted in injury. 24 were hit and runs. And 139 were property damage collisions. You know what, Yvonne, it's nice to know that it's not just Metro Vancouver drivers who can struggle in the snow. Yes, that is nice to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true, I guess. It is very true. And they see the snow more frequently than we do. So they, their statistics should be a slightly lower. All right. Wanted to start off with a few snowy picks that we got submitted. The northeastern corners of our province, we were seeing a significant amount of snow. A blast of winter, 15 and potentially over 30 centimeters for a few spots. I'll have those unofficial numbers in just a moment. A great shot that was sent in from Wesley. This was in Dawson Creek. The piece for Fort St. John, Twyla. Look at this fantastic photo and some of the numbers and unofficial ones. Link Creek, this is a highway, Pine Pass station at 36 centimeters unofficially for the piece up to 27 73 highway station up to 22 mckenzie airport just picking up 13 centimeters most areas now the snowfall warning has ended for the piece and two and up to four centimeters for this evening before really does start to ease off some sunshine in the forecast for tomorrow here's a shot of what it looks like outside metro vancouver it was a soggy start to our long weekend temperatures are sitting at 10 and we're still tracking some rainfall to the airport with this 
southeasterly wind up to 7 kilometers per hour. Temperatures today bumped up. We did get into the double digits. The average for this time of the year sits at 9 degrees. We've had a fantastic run of dry weather. We had a record-breaking dry spell, and this was taken into Thursday, 13 days of no rain. The old record, 12 days, and that was set back in 1956, November so far. So we've had that stretch of dry weather. It was yesterday, just closer to midnight, that we picked up a trace that broke our record, and then today picking up just four millimeters of rainfall, and it is going to be much drier for tomorrow. I'll have the timeline and your Remembrance Day forecast in just a moment. For the piece, the northeastern corner, so the snowfall warning has ended. We're still seeing a bit of uh, cloud cover across the south coast. It'll be for the morning hours. A slight chance to see a bit of drizzle for eastern areas, and the bulk of the moisture is moving in. Monday morning across the north and central coast should still remain dry for Remembrance Day for the south coast. And then towards the evening, we are going to be tracking some shower activity moving in and heavier rain on Tuesday. The northern half of the province, so we are going to be looking at rain. Uh, Still a chance of showers inland tomorrow, some nice breaks. Most areas near the peace tomorrow, minus 13, a sunny day, dry conditions. Cloud cover across the central interior will be for the morning and then breaking up towards the afternoon. The southern half of the province, a few isolated flurries and then clearing out for the Columbia. Thompson Okanagan could still see a few showers for the morning and then dry by the afternoon. Sunshine will be the weather picture by the afternoon and early evening. Most areas is where we are going to be looking at temperatures ranging between 12 degrees for tomorrow. A few showers will pop up late in the day on Remembrance Day, so good news for the morning. And then on Tuesday, rain and heavy at times, a bright spot on Wednesday with a partly cloudy sky. Colleen? Oh, I'm glad about Remembrance Day. That's great. Thanks, Yvonne. A warning tonight for people who use wireless earbuds. We already know all earbuds can cause hearing damage if the volume is too high, but now some doctors say wearing the wireless kind for too long can increase your risk for ear infections. Wireless earbuds made listening to music, talking on the phone, and even taking meetings on the go more convenient. But too much use and you could be feeling the pain. The ear is not really meant to be constantly clogged. It's not a natural condition for the ear to have hours of things sticking in it. Dr. Kohan says using earbuds for hours on end can irritate sensitive skin, obstruct the ear canal, and create a buildup of wax. As a result, many people can develop painful ear infections. They're putting in an earbud over here. They're pushing against this to hear better by irritating the skin, by having something constantly against it for hours on end and pushing cerumen or the wax deeper in the canal, you're constantly irritating the ear. Then when mixed with water from a shower or pool, the wax swells up and becomes a breeding ground for germs. But some earbud users aren't so concerned. Since buying his AirPods about a year ago, Mike Wendell says he typically uses them for four to five hours a day. Music when I'm at the gym, just like whenever I'm have downtime. When I'm not in front of customers, pretty much I have them in. The ease of these things is so great that I'll take that risk. If it happens to me, maybe I'll make a change, but for now it's working fine. Viviana Aguilar and Varsha Singh, however, say they clean their earbuds regularly so they don't have to be worried about infections. If you're sanitary about it, you shouldn't have to be. I do clean it often also. Dr. Kohan didn't offer any specific time limits to earbud use, just to use your judgment. As soon as you get any discomfort, if you've been using it for a long time, take them out. If it doesn't go away quickly, then see your doctor. While keeping both your skin and earbuds clean is crucial, he says the only real surefire way to prevent an infection is to use headphones that go over your ears. Ali Bauman, CBS2 News. You don't have those, do you? 
No, shockingly, they're you a little know, too uh, sophisticated for me. <laughs> well, we know what I you just do for Christmas. I just I just turn up the radio louder. I don't put in any right. Okay. Smart man makes me more uh, aware. That's dangerous. People That's right. walking with the buds downtown. That's oh, it just is. my public service announcement for today. Uh, Canucks are back uh, home. Uh, they'll play New Jersey tomorrow afternoon. Probably the the first kind of, um, I don't want to call it a slump, but maybe they've uh, hit a bit of a skid after such a great run for a few and a half weeks. So we'll take a look back at their loss in Winnipeg last night, update you on uh, Chris Tanev, who is probably pretty battered and bruised after it seemed like he blocked every shot attempt wow. uh, on the road trip. He's a tough guy, but... They need. That's the one thing. They need to stay healthy back there. And shot blocking is an odd thing. It's brave, but things break, and then you know it's no good. So, Ow. Yeah. Ow. No. I wouldn't do it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Barry. It's funny. I've always thought about professional sports as being um, risky, but dangerous. Seriously. Well, if you're blocking shots, you think you've said this. I'm going to tell everyone. You think the Canucks are the biggest surprise of the year so uh, far. On the plus side, yeah. Yeah, so far. Oh, great. They're about 20% of the way through. The playoffs started the day, which they've never started playoffs ever in November. They would be in, but we're jumping the gun, aren't we? <laughs> All right. The, thanks, Colleen. The uh, Canucks have hit uh, a bit of a rough patch after playing so incredibly well for about a three-and-a-half-week stretch. That happens. It's a long season. The schedule's been busy, and uh, the offense has dried up a little bit. Canucks have scored just four goals in their last three games, all losses. They'll try to get back on track tomorrow afternoon against the Devils. It's a special Sunday matinee start time, 1 o'clock at Rogers Arena. Now, you also have to wonder how Chris Tanev is feeling today. He took a beating on the road trip, blocking shots with parts of his body that didn't have much padding. Last night, Patrick Lyonnais got one of the hardest shots in the league, hit one off the knee. He left the game, did come back, but uh, he's got to stay healthy. Canucks had their chances down 2-1. Bo Horvat could have tied it here, but Connor Hellebuck made a hell of a save. Moments later, uh, former Jet Tyler Myers at the point doesn't uh, control the puck, and Kyle Connor gets away on the breakaway and seals the deal. 4-1 the final. The Canucks with back-to-back losses on the road. As mentioned, they host New Jersey on Sunday tomorrow at uh, 1 o'clock. NHL tonight, Golden Knights and Capitals. Stanley Cup finalist uh, matchup back in 2018. First period just a minute in. Evgeny Kuznetsov sent in alone. Goes to the forehand on Marc-Andre Fleury. It's his sixth of the year, 1-0 Caps. Jump to the second, now 3-1 Washington, but the Golden Knights on the power play. Riley Smith, one-timer, past Braden Holtby, 3-2 caps after two. But in the third, Washington gets some breathing room. Nick Backstrom, great passer, but decides to shoot, squeezes it through Fleury's pads, 4-2 Washington, late third. Kings and Habs from Montreal. Canadians playing well, 4-1-1 in their last six. First period on the power play. Shea Weber loads up the cannon, it's blocked, then hammers the half volley past Jonathan Quick. Weber has 207 career goals, 100 of them now on the power play, and he's still got the hardest shot in hockey. 15 seconds later, journeyman Nate Thompson used to play for the Kings, gets his first of the year on the setup from Arturi Lekkonen, 2-0, and then on another power play, Shea Weber with another rocket blows it past quick, but the Kings have closed the gap. 3-2 now, Canadians late third. Flyers and Leafs from Toronto. First period already 1-0 Philly. Oscar Lindblom. Nice little redirect here off the stick, off his knee and in. 2-0 Flyers. Bad news for the Leafs. Mitch Marner injures himself on this play, maybe an ankle or a groin. 
came back briefly, but then left the game. Uh, just a great effort just to get off the ice here. Needed some help from his teammates, but he didn't return. So lots of concern in Toronto. Matthews with a great setup for William Nylander. Ties it at two. That's where they are late in the third. Islanders and Panthers. Isles just had a 10-game win streak snapped the other night when they blew a 3-0 third-period lead and lost in overtime to Pittsburgh. First period, Matt Barzell out of Coquitlam. Check out that ridiculous move. Patience and finish his seventh. 1-0 Islanders. Third period, still 1-0 until Alexander Barkov ties it for Florida. Knocks it in from a scramble using that long reach. His fourth of the season ties it up. 1-1, but just 38 seconds later, Scott Mayfield scores the game winner. His shot deflects off a Panthers stick and off another Panthers stick and in. Islanders will take it. Isles now 11-0-1 in their last 12, edge the Panthers 2-1. Sabres and Lightning from Stockholm, Sweden. Former Red Wing defenseman Nick Cronwall dropping the puck between current Swedish NHLers Victor Hedman and Rasmus Dahlin. Second period tied at one until the Swede. Victor Hedman gives the Lightning the lead on the power play. His uh, parents in the stands loving that. 2-1 Tampa, final moments of the second. Tampa gets another. Big Patrick Maroon, who won a Stanley Cup in his hometown of St. Louis last year, knocks it in. 3-1 for the Lightning. And uh, then in the third, Tampa now up 4-2. Matthew Joseph also banging away in the crease. Jams it in. Lightning playing better now after a slow start. Sweep the two-game series in Stockholm 5-3 today. If the Seahawks have any designs on winning the NFC West and getting a home playoff game, they probably have to sweep their season series against the division-leading 49ers. This is shaping up as the game of the year so far as the Seahawks try to hand San Francisco its first loss of the season on Monday Night Football. Here's our primetime performer, Chanel, in the red zone. If the Seahawks have a realistic chance of catching the 49ers for the NFC West title, they need to pull off the upset Monday night. Now, Seattle has dominated this series in recent years, winning 11 of the last 12 games. But San Francisco is a much different team now, undefeated so far, and they have the best defense in football. So how good is this defense? Well, they are number one, allowing just 241 total yards a game, number one versus the pass, and allow an average of just 13 points, second best overall. Now, San Fran has 30 total sacks and have taken down the quarterback at least three times in each of the last five games. Jimmy Garoppolo comes off a four touchdown performance, but has never started versus Seattle. He's gotten protection this season, only sacked 12 times, tied for fourth fewest, and now he has Emmanuel Sanders, who has two touchdowns since arriving in the Bay. And expect San Fran to establish the run game, number two in the NFL, 171 yards a game and tied for an NFL best, 13 touchdowns on the ground. Russell Wilson leads the league with 22 touchdown passes and has the best passer rating in the league. Now he's 12-3 versus the 49ers all-time, but faces a defense that includes rookie Nick Bosa, who has seven sacks and tied for second overall in tackles for loss. Now Wilson is number three in passing and has deep threats in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. 
The run game has averaged 143 yards in the last four weeks and will need to be strong again. Now Seattle is a perfect 4-0 when Chris Carson hits the 100-yard mark. Getting to the quarterback will be the key. Now the Hawks have just 15 sacks this season and have given up an average of 28 points in the last four games, but they do have 16 takeaways and are undefeated on the road this season. The Seahawks are a five and a half point underdog, the first time San Fran has been favored versus Seattle since 2014. English Premiership, Jamie Vardy in Leicester City, home to Arsenal. Vardy leading the league with 10 goals. Well, you can make it 11. Leicester has played some beautiful soccer of late. Their ball movement so sharp and crisp. Vardy makes it 1-0. And later, second half, this time it's Vardy with the setup. James Madison with the quick fire to the back of the net. Another beautifully crafted goal. Leicester City now second in the Premiership, looking a lot like the team that shocked the EPL with their championship in 2016. 2-0 the final over Arsenal. Chelsea and Crystal Palace. Blues trying to keep pace with Leicester City. Open the scoring in the 52nd. Tammy Abraham gets behind the Palace defense and will find the back of the net. 1-0 Chelsea, and then they'll add some insurance. It's the young American Christian Pulisic scored the hat-trick two weeks ago, got one against Watford last week, and today heads in his fifth goal in his last three EPL matches. 2-0 Chelsea win. They are tied for second with Leicester City. You know what's so amazing to watch with these guys? They can run fast backwards. <laughs> <laughs> we just ran the tape back. They can't. <laughs> Good point. So Friday was the home opener for the Okanagan College Coyotes, and it was an exciting night because their new locker room was finally officially unveiled. As Jules Knox reports, a collaboration between trades and sports brought the whole community together. <laughs> the formerly homeless Okanagan College Coyotes have a new den, a brand new custom-built locker room. For us, it gives us some ownership in our own team room where we can build our culture and watch game tape. The project, tackled by students in the trades, a cohort of all-female high school students kicking off construction at Kelowna Christian School nearly a year ago, and then electrical, carpentry, and plumbing students all working on side and pitching in their part. So when I say that the plumbing students, for example, are involved, they literally had to jackhammer the concrete out of the floors. So it wasn't just a matter of running the pipes. Because Okanagan College doesn't have a gym, the Coyotes didn't have their own zone. Nothing, nothing, it was just cement. Cement walls all the way down. The team will still play home games at Quigley Elementary, but Kelowna Christian School is offering them a place to practice and a space they can strategize and watch tape. When we say community connections, and that's what makes a community college truly a community college, this is living manifestation of how that works. And players say having a home base has helped with shooting hoops. Now that we got these locker rooms, like we can come in, watch film, like it's just like a lot easier for us to like focus and get ready. The community calling the locker room a slam dunk. Jules Knox, Global News, Cologne. But trust me, there were girls who <laughs> built the <laughs> And they did a great job. <laughs> they yes. did a fabulous really job. It looked nice. It's always nice to be in a 
you know, the like locker room's not going to smell great in a few years. Right, right now, it smells like fresh paint. No, which is nice. <laughs> which is a real plus. A real plus. Okay, uh, the other real plus is uh, looks like it's not going to rain on November and stay until the end of the day? Yes, so so far so good. Even tomorrow we'll see some nice breaks out there. On Remembrance Day it is cloud cover uh, and then it's late in the day that we'll start to see some rain moving in and the heavier rain will be on Tuesday. So good news so far. Yay. Okay. Keep us posted. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. Jordan will be here at 11 o'clock. Have a great night. <laughs>